Afronauts. I'm Monique Collins. I'm Jill Tu. I'm Beatrice Eicher. And welcome to the Afronauts podcast, a mood for the culture and the future. We provide speculative writing encouragement, resources, and entertainment. If you'd like to support this podcast financially, you can find us at Afronauts Pod on Kofi or check the link on our Twitter profile. Today, we'll be discussing how we research for our writing. So do y'all have any stories or poems that you admire as mentor text when you consider how an author has incorporated research into their work? I don't know that I have any mentor texts because just because I don't know um, how every book I enjoy like was researched and written. But uh, when we talked to Tracy Dion um, for her interview, I thought that her process was really interesting. The fact that she had several research assistants um, for not just the Arthuriana part of Legendborn, but um, other elements as well. I thought that was just yeah. really well done. And just her knowledge that, you know, she, well, she has an academic background. So I think she brought that expertise to it and just knew that she needed to have additional sources to to kind of beef up the authenticity of the story. Definitely. I would say for me, um, the first person that came to mind was Zora Neale Hurston because she, you know, did all of that work going across yes. the South uh, yes. to, you know, get all these stories and um, all these traditions that people had. Yeah, so that definitely her. She's the first person that comes to mind when I think of that. Yeah, and she was an anthropologist, correct? Yeah, she was a, a cultural mm-hmm. anthropologist, I believe. Mm-hmm. So um, kind of like you all, I don't have a specific book that comes to mind that I've like read, but just listening to authors and their process, um, some of that really stuck with me was Margaret Atwood. And she said that when she was writing The Handmaid's Tale, she everything she included in The Handmaid's Tale was something that had happened in history. So I thought that was very interesting. And um, of course, mm-hmm. not just American history, but history from all over the world. And so that always just stuck with me because, you know, as I'm writing my work in progress now, I think it's just really interesting and also cool to incorporate real lived events into your work, especially if they're, you know, horrendous or they reveal something horrible about human nature. I just kind of like that stuff. Totally. Yeah. I sometimes when I'm in between projects or just trying to fill the well to, marinate on stuff before I think of something new to write. I listen to history podcasts, um, both about um, older civilizations, about wars, about more modern stuff. Um, I think it's really interesting to think about some of the human motivations for some of the mm-hmm. kind of best and worst times in history and think about exactly. how you could put like a speculative lens on that for sure. Do you listen to revolutions? No, what's that? You I, need I listen either. to revolutions uh podcast and he picks i mean all kinds of revolutions from the across the world from across mm-hmm. history and he does really good deep dives that's and amazing it is fascinating okay. um i can't name all of them but like just like all the big ones he's done all of them i know i listened to the one about the haitian revolution and the french revolution and the american revolution uh, mm-hmm. but there's way more like the russian there's so much i definitely would encourage everyone to listen to that podcast. It was really good. Okay. That's really cool. Totally my jam. Yeah. I listened to the fall of civilizations podcast is really good. And it's kind of <laughs> similar. Like sometimes there's revolution as part of that, but sometimes it's just, you know, trade routes change and 
you know, they're just different, different families come into power or you get one leader who's just not it. <laughs> and it all falls crazy, apart. All, yeah. Crazy what can happen when, <laughs> yeah. when one guy. Yeah. Right. Um, that's really cool. Yeah. That's so cool. And it's, it's really neat to also incorporate that same kind of like plot line, right? I don't, it's kind of weird to call them a plot line because it's real factual events, but to, you know, mimic real world and mimic real world events to try to figure out, okay, how, how am I going to show this society collapsing or how am I going to show this um, big figure becoming, you know, solely, what's the word called, dissolving or reducing to nothing. Yeah, that's literally what my next work in progress is about, I think like a leader who becomes tyrannical and has like a rage arc. Oh my God. Me but too. it happened. What? <laughs> we should, we should, is, we is, should, is, and should connect. Sci-fi? I think it's going to be, yeah. We should okay, connect. Cool. Okay. Mine is going to be epic fantasy. So it's okay. different. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we should compare notes on that. We should compare notes on that. That's great. Yeah. Do you guys like your stories to be totally accurate when it comes to those historical details or facts kind of where do you draw the line I've like uh I've heard of some fantasy authors figuring out if they're gonna like put like indoor plumbing in their stories for example (laughs) how do you guys think about that I thought about that in my very first fantasy I was like wait how are they gonna use the bathroom will readers care how like just like is that part of the plot right Right. just for my own personal like I want to (laughs) know I want to decide for myself how are they gonna use the bathroom I was just going to say, I think it's important to like know those like nitty gritty details to an extent for yourself, but they definitely don't need to all be in your story. But I also think that I know for me, I don't like to be fully accurate just because history is so it's biased, right? And you're not going to really be able to be 100% accurate anyway. And it just kind of depends on whose lens you're looking at that historical event through um and that history can change so I, I don't think there's really truly a way to be fully accurate anyway uh but especially when we're writing speculative fiction I think it's more interesting to incorporate your own mythology or your own um folklore or stories into it I would say um I try my best to be historically accurate I, I do write historical speculative fiction and so a lot of what I write revolves around real world wars, like stuff like that. So that stuff is accurate in a sense that it actually happened. Mm -hmm. Um, But aside from that, I don't want to get bogged down in the details. So I want to find a balance between those two of being accurate. This is the right time. This is the right place. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, these kinds of people lived in this region, but I'm not going to go overboard because then uh, I'll never get it 100% right. And I will, I know myself, I will continue to go and go and research and research and research until I know (laughs) everything about this, the average day for this person. What will they do when they woke up? What would they do when they stood up from like, I would do all of this research to make sure that I'm really accurate. But at some point, it not only doesn't matter to the plot, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't matter that I know it either. So trying to find a balance between those two. That's tough. I know a lot of writers who get bogged down in that like research rabbit hole and they just have, you know, folders upon folders, whether it's physical or digital of all these facts. And like, that's great. But, you know, at some point you got to start drafting. So Mm -hmm. definitely. And also like kind of like whose history is it anyway? Has the history been like whitewashed and colonized? And so I think it's always important to kind of consider your historical lens when you're 
even researching things and getting bogged down in the facts because they might not even be factual. So, <laughs> yep, such a good point. Yeah, for me, I mean, writing like near future, softer sci-fi, um, you know, I use science fiction, me personally, I use science fiction as a way to explore um, aspects of like the human condition. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to being like totally scientifically accurate, like I'll do like a sprinkling of things and like I will research and I'll kind of use real data or real real studies and, and real discoveries to kind of mm-hmm. anchor my story. But, you know, from that point on, it's all kind of hand wavy for me because it's more about the people and the the relationships. What, what about when it comes to like those, and I always wonder this with people who write like hard, like harder sci-fi, what, what, like when it comes to like physics and like all of those things, how far do you go with that? Yeah, I mean, I I haven't done like a space opera, for example. So a lot of harder sci-fi has to do with uh, space travel, right? Like how would you uh, power a spaceship over, um, yes. you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of light years, for example, or how would you um, establish a civilization on a, a, an exoplanet? Like, so I think like that kind of stuff I, I haven't delved into, not intentionally, it's just kind of, you know, I like the near the nearer future stuff. Um, that happens to be on earth so that helps me out Um, but yeah I mean I I hear it I think you know for me personally I think if I was ever going to do a space opera I probably would lean very heavily on a lot of the thought and research that's already been established on Mm -hmm. um, how space travel and things like that would work both because it's just not my forte research-wise but also because there's a common vernacular I think that's been established in the genre about um, you know grav boots and different things that you know people okay. are used to seeing and used mm-hmm. to it's like kind of a convention of the genre at this point that it would just be helpful okay. for storytelling that makes sense. i i have not written non-earth sci-fi before but if i were to write it i would <laughs> want it to be similar to um the hijacker's guide to the galaxy because okay, yeah. you uh, love you love that uh, story listen to me <laughs> I love, I love that, that book story. and I love it because it is sci-fi it's like you know in the span space and they're going places and things and whatever but it's so grounded in the human condition it's so grounded in these really human emotions even the aliens yes. the really even even the different kinds of aliens represent different aspects of the human condition mm-hmm. that's really cool brilliant fabulous all hits, no misses. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's the sci-fi I more so lean into. Um, even when we were talking about solos one day, Jill, and I know you didn't get into solos really. Oh, yeah. But um, I really love that type of sci-fi because it's not really, the the science is really kind of like irrelevant almost in a way. Totally. It's more so about, you know, the human condition, the human experience and how they're functioning in a world that just happens to be speculative um so mm-hmm. I think it's kind of cool to think of it that way or to think of I don't know to, to kind of think of like science fiction as contemporary if that makes sense like you know one day we're going to be in the future and so how do we write in a way that makes the future seem normal that's kind of mm-hmm. what I like mm-hmm. for sure that was beautiful money <laughs> I like that oh yeah. thanks so guys, how much research do you like to do before you start drafting? For me, it depends on the story. Like for my um, near future sci-fi stuff, like almost none. I get like an idea and I'm like, I'll figure out the science later, right? I'm like, what if you could do this with technology? And then I'm like, 
someone's probably come close or something. So <laughs> it'll, it'll happen. Um, but I did, uh, I do have a trunked book, uh, which is currently YA, but I might revise it down to middle grade at some point. Um, that is a uh, historical fairy tale retelling set in a fictional set on a fictional Caribbean island. Um, and for that one, I did a Very lot of cool. research. It's really cool. It's like close to my heart, even though it like it didn't quite work out, but maybe someday. But um, that story, um, the Maroons play a big, uh, big part in that story. And so I wanted to do a lot of research to get that right um, and think about some of the key um key figures and, and kind of prominent mm -hmm. um, people and leaders in that in that culture. So I bought a ton of books and did a lot of reading and talking to my my family um, just to get kind of the the feeling right and the setting right and and just make sure that at that point the maroons were central to the plot of the story. And so I really couldn't start outlining even without having a sense of um, battles and how they fought and all that stuff. So that was important to understand. And you say it's trunked, meaning you you can like open up the trunk and pull it out. I could, time. yeah. I've got a little over ten thousand words drafted, so it's it's there. Um, and yeah, maybe one day I'll dig it up and see if I can polish it or brush it off. But for now, yeah, it's a treasure. It's in the treasure trunk. Oh, oh, I like that. I thought yeah. of it as like an old moth-eaten no. sweater. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It's a treasure. It's in my treasure trunk. Um, I like to write first. I like to like get into the writing and let the story flow out. And then like when I'm in the, the thick of things, um, then I, I like to research because I'm not, well, I don't pre-plot one. So there's no way to research if you don't pre, <laughs> if you don't pre-plot. So first I have to figure out, okay, what are my characters telling me? What do they want? Who are they? And then, okay, so now I need to research about their condition or where they live. Um, especially when you're writing or when I'm writing like fantasy I haven't really written that much sci-fi. I used to, I used to write a whole lot of sci-fi, but I think I was kind of like encouraged away from it, especially, you know, when you're coming through um, different writing programs and you're coming through high school and college. So yeah, I, I write and then I research. Um, what I found is that when it comes to researching about like West African cultures or um, different or different West African mythologies, I found, I found it a, a struggle. I didn't know which books to look at. I didn't know which books to read. Um, there were very few of them. And then for me, right or wrong, I wanna like read from the actual people who live in these places. Um, and that's another barrier. So what about you, Beatrice? Uh, I am a plotter, so. <laughs> what? <laughs> I know I, I never talk about this, but guys, <laughs> I you? worst kept secret and all of I know I'm a plotter, so I do all <laughs> the research about the time and the place that I know I'm I'm gonna write in, but usually before I have a story. Like I, for instance, one of my work in progress is right now is um during the Harlem Renaissance, and it was really important to me that I uh, read and looked at interviews from um, people from that time, read works from people from that time, and you know things like that. And then I thought of the story. I was like, oh, this kind of story would be interesting during this specific time period, as opposed to the other way around. Like stories don't come first to me. Usually, setting comes first. So, and I like doing research on settings. So very interesting. So um, Joe touched on this a bit 
just a little nudge earlier, but how does your family history and the oral passing down of stories play a role in your research? Um, I know Jill mentioned her story, her, her treasure trunk story um, about the Caribbean, right, Jill? Um, yeah. But do y'all rely on your familial history when you're writing? Uh, so me, definitely, I do. In almost everything I've written, I have called my mom and been like, mom, what? And she doesn't remember anything, but it's just fun. <laughs> And she, and she always says, call your aunt. Cause my aunt is the one who has the most brilliant memory in the, like, okay. it's mm-hmm. incredible. Mm-hmm. But I call my mom first and I'm like, Hey, have, do you remember what it was like to be, you know, in this city during this time? And she mm-hmm. was like, yeah, it's noisy. <laughs> okay. okay. Yep. Yep. So thanks. Thank you for that. I'm going to call thanks. aunt Nisi. Appreciate it. But um, yeah, I am, I'm constantly calling my family and asking them questions and um, it helps that my stories are often set in and around Tennessee where I'm from so okay. it, it's it makes sense to ask a local who was mm-hmm. there during that time or who was mm-hmm. just aware of that um that area of you know what memories they had and what what, what do they remember from their grandparents telling them stories about things that happened I learned things that you would never know if, mm-hmm. in, in a textbook or on wikipedia mm-hmm. uh, it's no you, you can't find this information anywhere else um and so yeah i definitely do rely on my family and and my stories very cool when it comes to me um i i wish that when i were younger or i wish that when i was younger i had cared more for my family history like i don't know about y'all but for me when i was younger i just wanted to like kind of blend in with the status quo. I didn't really value my own culture or my own history. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't really ask many questions about them. And if my parents ever offered anything, I didn't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yep. so now that I'm older, I, I'm definitely seeking more stories about just like Gullah history, um, Gullah Geechee culture and heritage and just ancestral knowledge. Um, and my mom is too. So we actually like went through the whole ancestry DNA thing. And through that, I ended up finding this historical document written by my, and I'm not sure how far it goes back, but he basically was, um, he was my, he's like great, great, great grandfather, but he was born a slave. And so in his narrative, he was talking about like how he was born a slave and how it was for his parents on the plantation. And that was very, like, it it did something to me because it's one thing to like, Mm -hmm. to kind of like hypothetically, know, okay, my ancestors were slaves um, versus to see it in black and white on a piece of paper um, and say, okay, my ancestors were on this land for, you know, from generation to generation and they came here through slavery. So um, I haven't really touched into much of incorporating that specific narrative into any of my writing yet, but I definitely plan on doing so in the future. For sure. That's really cool. Yeah. I think that I, you shared that with us and reading that just like gave me chills. I was like, this mm-hmm. is like those like written oral narratives are just, it's like magic almost. It's like time travel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I don't really have too much to add from what I said, but yeah, I like you, uh, Beatrice, I, I call my mom and I'm like, 
what was it like and she has like a good amount of memories but I need to like tap into my aunts a little bit and be like okay why is like, it always the aunts? What, I know like, <laughs> what do you remember what is this mom I know. why are you trying <laughs> what's going on what's wrong mom maybe she's trying to protect us from something I don't know yeah. but um yeah I think both that and um yeah, some, some written accounts, you know, I, I'm not lucky enough to have any written accounts that I've stumbled upon from ancestors. Um, but for this, this middle or this potential middle grade, this historical, um, fairy tale retelling, um, I did look up some, like some written oral recountings of stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, a lot of it is, is slavery based. It's so like chilling and like awful, mm-hmm. uh, but there's a lot, um, a lot of the books that I, that I purchased and bought from the library have written accounts of the Maroons and of, of Nanny and some of the Kind of legendary figures um in that history and so to be able to read it in in that old-timey language uh mm-hmm. kind of like puts a different spin that on it right like, this language. is like somebody who was there <laughs> who can tell the story and when you have multiple accounts um that differ like that's like gold right it's like okay well what it really is. happened and yeah. that's my favorite so um those historical sources are, are really fun to get into definitely uh where else do y'all look for research uh, what kind of sources do you like to use? I'm going to put you on the spot, Beatrice. I know you like to um, go in person to some some places um, around uh, around some, where you live to do some in person research. Some cemeteries yeah. and I do. And the, like, I love I love going to cemeteries. I love <laughs> I it's it's just so nice. <laughs> but no, yeah, for research specifically, um, going physically going to cemeteries is always always better than doing anything online because you not only have access to all the digital records but also you have physical records and um the, oftentimes the people who work there are either either amateur or for real historians local or otherwise and so uh their accountings on you know these families i got one guy one, one guy he told me you know this family whenever someone dies they always give me the hardest time with their headstones because they're they want a very specific kind of headstone and um, the reason they wanted that was because back in their land, like like these kinds of things you would never know if you didn't actually physically go to the cemetery. I also love census records um, because from there you get, again, so much information. With my own family, I I go to census records and I can always tell um, where my like great, great, great cousins are, whatever, because they're usually next door to because you know families usually lived you know this is one dirt road yeah, everyone right. you know and so uh it's so fascinating to see you know this this person lived next to this person and these two were single the last census they're married this census oh, but this yeah. census oh. they're divorced and he's re- like there's oh. so much you can learn mm-hmm. from census records which are totally mm-hmm. free online by the way mm-hmm. yeah it's really really interesting um not even for your specific family but if you're interested in writing a book about a specific place um in in the states i really do recommend looking at census records um during that time and following you know two three four families over the course of 50 years and seeing where they moved and who they lived with and how many kids they had and you know it's fascinating and it does give you a little bit of a glimpse into their lives that's so cool um, I remember uh, there was an episode of Deadline City um, where they were talking, I think with Chloe Gong and uh, Danielle Clayton mentioned that she likes to look at newspapers from that time. So she um, like goes to the library and they have all the, what is it, like microfage or whatever they call it, like the scanned like copies of the newspapers. Do they still have microfilm? That? Microfilm. Yeah. Microfage is like the scientific. Microfilm. microfilm. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, microfilm. Microfilm. Yeah. They, uh, yeah, they still have that. And I think, um, 
yeah like, i don't think know, back mine i don't think my library has that anymore a lot of times though they they've digitized them by yeah now. yeah i think she she was writing a story set in new orleans so i think she went to new orleans um and then like had to go to a library there for that so i don't yeah okay but it depends on kind of the region you're writing in like local libraries should have older stuff for yeah for their geographic area local libraries will have local history yeah yeah they do yeah, yeah also like- um oh. oh sorry i was gonna say jstor has i think you get like six articles a month for free um and there's all sorts of good like historical stuff on there um interviews and newspaper clippings and um that kind of stuff yeah jstor good old jstor (laughs) very familiar with that (laughs) well i torture my students with it but um (laughs) i like to really look at the census and also just the i don't know we have a lot of plantations here so i like to look at like plantation records and just information like that also speaking to like a lot of the older locals. Um, Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, a lot of our um, elders here are, you know, they're moving on and passing away. So I think the oral history is kind of like the biggest source of really great information, especially if you want history on my culture, which is like Galagichi culture, because most of our history in um, in our language specifically hasn't been written down. Um, and, and if it has, then it hasn't been by us. So mm-hmm. if you want um, like a true account or a true or accurate history, then you kind of have to hear from the source. So, and also, I don't know about y'all, but I, I like to listen to music because especially here, like in the South or in the low country, music is really important and you can find out a lot through song. That's yeah. really cool. Um, you made me think of um, another source, which is documentaries. And I think mm-hmm. the lens, you have to be really careful with who's telling the story, like you said, Monique. But even just to get the cadence of like how people talk, sometimes um, those like filmed or like video or, or audio recordings sometimes can be really helpful. Definitely. Okay, guys. So what tips do you have for keeping track of your research? Hmm. <laughs> I'm I'll not the most organized oh, okay. person. So yeah, you I'll go first, say. Beatrice. Okay. You're the I, yeah. I, I, yes. I love organization. <laughs> I love spreadsheets. So there's a spreadsheet for everything, including research. Um, I, I just love spreadsheets. Everyone should use, they solve all the problems. <laughs> um, yeah, I use spreadsheets. I, um, I used to have like a different, I would have two email accounts and I would send information oh. to, to like my dummy email account so that I could have everything in one place and it was just easier to do it that way it also kind of made it fun because you know it was just <laughs> a different format sometimes you have to do things differently to make uh, it fun okay. and this we're was not, fun for we're me not judging. email to myself um email links emails email um pictures email like so many things what about you joe yeah i wish i was organized enough to use like notion or google keep or something like that i'm not um wait what is yet. notion it's kind of like Google Keep. I think it's like just a place where you can save, um, there's a bunch of templates for different things you can do, but um, it's a tool for keeping track of like writing research and even like progress tracking for writing. You can use it for anything, but a lot of writers use it to, to do stuff like that, like pre, okay. pre-writing work. And um, it seems really cool, but I'm just like, they really have the energy to figure out one more thing. Not right now, maybe someday, it looks really cool. I've learned that researching, whether it's for sci-fi or fantasy for me, is like a different part of my brain than drafting. So I 
either do it when I have to do it up front, I kind of do it before I start drafting or for my sci-fis, um, I'll just leave like a little bracket placeholder of like, figure out how the car's going to work or figure out what they're wearing or figure out whatever. Um, and then on days when I just don't have it in me to write, I'll just make that my research day. And it takes a lot mm -hmm. less energy or like a different kind of energy to just like knock out those questions one by one. Um, hmm. And then I can go fill them in later. That's, really that's a, that's a cool strategy, actually. I never thought about that. Yeah. Cause it's still, you're still making progress on your writing but you're, That's I kind of save those different kinds of jobs for days when like the drafting just isn't happening. Feels so smart. Yeah, that is smart. Uh, me, I rather have unorganized chaos. It's organized to me, you know, it's my system, but too much organization to me is just not healthy for my writing. Um, so I kind of like just, you know, like kind of like throw things at a, at, a, at a wall or like a mood board or what have you. So I just kind of like to just throw things, you know, at the Scrivener screen <laughs> and just chuck them in there. Um, I'm like, I know, I know what I'm thinking. I know the my non-circular process. So um, or non-lateral process. So that works for me, just kind of like it, Pinterest also. Like if I said I'm researching a, a certain time period or a certain setting, I'll just look at a bunch of pictures. Um, and then Kind of like spit them into my archive. That's what we're gonna call, we're gonna call it an archive. <laughs> there you go. There I'll you just go. spit them into the there archive. Rename that. These there are pictures go. of cars from the 1970s. It'll go in mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. um, these are castles, or these are um, different spaceships. So I'm very visual. So most of my research is done through imagery. Yeah, you should check out Notion. I think you might like it. Okay, it's a bunch of spitting out things at a screen. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a good place to capture it. Like it's a good place to, okay. to keep all, you can have like a different page for each project. Is it free? I think so. I don't know. Okay. Hmm. I think there's a version of it that's free. I think. Mm, I'll just stick with Scrivener. <laughs> I said, no, you could put pictures in Scrivener, which is mm -mm. cool. You know, yeah, you can, you can put pictures in you know, audio. Um, and just how my, how my, um, my brain is set up. I just need to focus on one thing. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. It's free. Yeah. Notion, is, Notion is free and it has like to-do lists. It can put to-do lists in it or journals or anything you want. Cool. I would use that to procrastinate. That's how, that's kind of how I feel about it. But, but when people use it and like, it keeps them on track, I, I like that for them. Yeah. I like that for them. <laughs> I love I, that for them. <laughs> the way, the way my brain works, that's just a procrastination tool. But I think Beatrice will love that. <laughs> <laughs> no shade, no shade to Notion or people that use it. No, I, no, I no. I have seen it work very effectively for people. You love to be I, I organized. Really yeah. Yeah. But I, I'm I think not Scribner organized is good for that too, though. Scrivener is good yeah. for just inputting images or whatever mm -hmm. you want. It is basically just like a writing Facebook or writing Pinterest. You could mm -hmm. throw stuff at the wall. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely no shade to notion, but my brain isn't set up for organization. Now it's time for that. a message from our sponsor. Notion. What? <laughs> Which one would have been our sponsor, though? Scrivener? Both. Oh, I hope not Notion. That would yeah. No offense to Notion. Thank you for the money, boo. But... Awkward. Okay, maybe we should cut that. I'm not cutting that. That was funny. Oh, God. So Jill kind of touched on this a little earlier. Um, she talked about how her research process kind of changes from fantasy to sci-fi. Well, when you're going from writing either poetry and prose, because I know some of us write both 
poetry and fiction, as well as everything in between. Does your research process change? Does it differ and how? And if you're kind of feeling stuck, also, if you're going from di a different genre, does your research process change? Like for you, Beatrice, if you're writing like horror to, I was going to say romance, but you don't write romance. If you're going from horror to like historical fantasy. So um, going, jumping between genres like um, horror and fantasy, I would say no, it requires the same amount of research. I do the same amount of research for, for each one. It doesn't help, though, because I write historical horror. So, you know, even though it's horror, it's still historical. So I'm still doing the same amount of research. Okay, just got it. Just kind of bottled up in a different lens. But no, I, don't, I would say any of my prose work, I do the same amount of, of research, pretty much. Mm -hmm. When I write poetry, I would say... I'll do less amount, I'll do less research um, because my poetry doesn't lend itself to a lot of world building, to a lot of grounding. My poetry is mm -hmm. a little bit more like up in the air. Um, it's not as grounded as my prose. So there's, okay. so it requires less research. I'm trying to think about this question myself. Like in the past, when I've written poetry, I think I've done less research than prose. But now as I'm trying to like write more about like the environment and just different um, like social justice or, you know, humanitarian issues, I find myself doing more research because um, sometimes like I don't know the common language, like, um, or all of like the words or the, you know, the word choice when it comes to like writing about, let's say pollution or um, writing about like women's rights or, and so I, I like to research mostly for addiction because I think you have to be a lot more tighter when you're writing poetry, when it comes to addiction. So I find myself researching more for that. Like what word is more appropriate here? Um, so my focus is more narrow. So I think that's how it changes more so than when I'm writing prose. That's really interesting. Do you have anything to add, Jill? No, I just think it's interesting listening to y'all talk about poetry. Um, yeah, I mostly write prose. I'm trying to think if there's anything else between genres or even science fiction or, or sorry, or even short fiction versus longer form. Um, oh, one thing you just said, Monique, about like, getting the words right. I think that's interesting. Like I, I definitely, even in sci-fi, when I'm trying to go for a certain feel with like the voice, will just leave like placeholders, again, like brackets for stuff. And then I feel like revision is when I come in and like add the style that helps set the mood, whether it's like near future or, you know, historical past. Um, so I, I will save a lot of that research again, like on my like less drafty days to go through and like read some historical records or just get a feel for, um, you know, different pieces of vocabulary. I like that bracket idea. And word hippo, if you haven't heard about it, helps a lot. What is that? It's, it's basically like a, it's a dictionary slash um, like thesaurus slash basically like if you type in a word, it'll spit out all the words that are similar, um, but they might have like different connotations or oh. different um, patterns. I don't know. I, I like rhythm when I'm writing, especially mm -hmm. writing poetry. Yeah. But even when I'm writing prose, sometimes, you know, a word just doesn't feel right mm -hmm. on the ear. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of cool to use word hippo to find an alternative. Cool. I'll check that out.
So have you ever had a piece of writing start with the research as inspiration? Yeah, I mean, this kind of goes back to what we were saying at the top of the episode, like listening to podcasts or reading articles will kind of spark something and you'll say, oh, that could be an idea. Um, I realized like just today, um, I've never been able to really articulate my process for coming up with new ideas. And I figured out what it is today, which is like, I'll read an article or watch something or something will give me an idea, usually grounded in the real world or, you know, a, a podcast about a long time ago in the real world. Um, and I'll be like, oh, like that could be interesting. Like what if that was a story? And that just kind of like sits in the back of my mind. Um, and I kind of collect all these seeds that kind of sit there until like the right to find each other. <laughs> and that is the dynamic that creates like the beginning of a story. I'm like, oh, this one and this one fit. And if they go together, then I have, I have an interesting story. It's almost like, like a Mad Lib. I need like the right kind of character and the right plot dynamic. And it's all kind of based on, you know, different elements of reality. But when they find each other, it's like, yep, that's the tension that I was looking for to like create a, a story worth telling. Do you need, do you use your notes app for that? Like it's in my brain. I only have a handful at a time. Uh, so I'm kind of like, oh. what's that like? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Never heard of that before. Right. I have, Good I have like you. probably like half a dozen. So I can keep track of them. And it's like, I, I kind of like, I feel like when I find the one that combines, I like the one that belongs, like it's missing piece just kind of like rises to the surface and it's mm -hmm. like, ooh, pick me. And I'm like, Aww. ooh, you guys That's do go nice. well together. Nice. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if I would call this research, but kind of similar to what Jill was saying, you know, you'll be like just walking down the street or driving your car and you'll see something like, you'll like see a couple fighting or you'll see a poster or you'll experience something in the real world. Like to me, that's research. Um, so I think my, a lot of my stories start from just like researching about or viewing the human experiences. Um, and then I'll kind of use that as a tool for my own writing. Um, and I think it, it, most of it sparks that way. Or sometimes like I'll have a dream or, you know, I'll just have like a, I'll hear a line in my head. Has that ever happened to y'all? You just like kind of yeah. hear a line in your yeah, head. For mm -hmm. sure. And yeah. That'll be the jump off for everything. So not really scholarly research as you would consider it, but more of um, experimental research, I would say. Yeah. I, I liken that to the way we think about songwriters and how, um, you know, they'll go between like albums and it's kind of like Adele but she'll go like so long between albums and we're all like says like what is taking so long but she's living life like she's coming up with stories for, mm -hmm. for us that's you know? true yeah so I think we should think of that um of being an author in a similar way it's like we I've got to go out and live I've got to see other people living I've got to exactly you know that's how I I write what I know mm -hmm. and also what you don't know you go out there and figure it out mm -hmm. <laughs> yes Thanks for kicking in with us. Follow us at Afronauts Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. If you'd like to support this podcast financially, you can find us at Afronauts Pod on Kofi or check the link on our Twitter profile. Don't forget to follow, subscribe, and review.